Let's now open our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel as we continue to look at Matthew together. We come now to chapter 13, the first 23 verses, the parable of the sower. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Let us briefly pray. Almighty God and our Father, this is your word, and we reverence your word. We bow our minds and hearts and affections and wills to your word. If there are those here today who have never bowed before you, acknowledged you as Savior and Lord, Lord Jesus, we pray that the Holy Spirit might draw effectually those lost ones to you as you have drawn us when we were lost and dead in our trespasses and sins. But may your people grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and be fed by this word. May we get all that we can into our minds and hearts now, but may we depend upon the Holy Spirit to do this now and in the future, knowing that it is cumulative. The effect of the preaching of the word is not what happens in any one moment, but what you are doing in our lives progressively as you sanctify us, your people. Sanctify us, grow us in grace, and give to us open, attentive, and joyful hearts and countenances as we hear the word of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. This is the word of God. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear. And did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, 
The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This parable is the vestibule parable. It's the parable with which we begin that opens to us our understanding of all of the kingdom parables that follow in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. It answers a question for us. Why do people respond differently to the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of the gospel? Given human sin and depravity, why does anyone respond? Why does anyone believe the gospel? What is God doing until Christ returns through gospel preaching? Those are the questions that we may ask and that are answered as we turn to the parable of the sower. Well, first, the parable. It's very simple. A sower went forth to sow. The sower, you can imagine him with the seed bag around his neck, takes the seed and he scatters it far and wide. The seed comes into contact with various soils. First, there's the the path that crisscrosses the fields, the roads. Untilled, packed, hard, The seed takes no root. Birds eat the seed and remove it. Secondly, there are rocky places with little soil. Beds of rock that are deeper than the plow can reach. The seed sprang up quickly, but there is no depth of soil. The sun scorched it. The seed had no root, and so it withered away. And then there's the soil that is infested with thorns, thistle weeds that choked out the sprouting seed. And then lastly, there is the good soil that has depth, there is no rock underneath, no thistle that would choke out the word that yielded a crop a hundredfold, sixty, and thirty, which is quite remarkable. Even a tenfold crop in the ancient world was considered spectacular, and yet this is the kind of fruit that is anticipated in this parable. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, says Jesus. And what he means by that is that supernatural aid is needed to truly understand deep within the heart the meaning of the parable of the sower. That's the first thing, then. That's the parable. It's very simple. The second thing is this. Why did Jesus speak in parables? For his disciples come in verse 10, and the disciples say to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus gives us the answer. Let's first of all point out that from this point on, Jesus speaks mostly in parables. His purpose was not to intrigue with interesting stories. That's not why he spoke in parables. His purpose was not to make things plain. If anything, parables obscure. His purpose was not to give the church a pedagogical method. There are many pedagogical methods found in the Bible, in the New Testament. And that's not his purpose. 
It has to do with this stage in Jesus' ministry. As a matter of fact, later in Matthew 13, he will tell us that it's the fulfillment of prophecy. That Isaiah the prophet said that when the Messiah came, he would speak in parables. And when he answers the question, why do you speak in parables to his disciples, he says two things. I speak in parables because I intend to reveal, and I speak in parables because I intend to conceal. And so he says in verses 10 and 12, or 10 through 12, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus taught in parables to reveal. He reveals truth to believers. He will explain the parables to his disciples. Now, election is clear in this passage. You just can't miss it. It's unmistakable. He reveals his truth to those he chooses to reveal his truth. And then secondly, Jesus taught in parables to conceal. He goes on to say in verse 13, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. It's intentional concealment. Jesus left some in their own darkness without explanation. Mark is very clear about this when he says in Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 10, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that. Now that's a purpose clause in the Greek. It's a hena clause, purpose, so that, for the purpose that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. What do we have here? We have the sovereign will of God to give the knowledge of divine mysteries to some and to withhold the knowledge of the divine mysteries to others. And Jesus here in Matthew quotes Isaiah chapter 6. Look at verses 14 and following. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. This is the passage that Pastor McDonald read to us from Isaiah chapter 6 this morning, here quoted by Jesus. What we're being told by this passage is the sentence of hardening hearts is pronounced on unbelieving people to whom Isaiah preached. This is also the purpose, Jesus says, of the parables in my ministry. There is a curse function serving to further the hardness of men's hard hearts. Used in the hands of a sovereign God, the parable serves the dual purpose of revealing and concealing, election and reprobation. Because the Pharisees and others in the crowd were willfully impenitent, they were further hardened. And unless God intervened, the hardening of their hearts will simply become more obdurate and hard and recalcitrant, which illustrates the awful principle that sin is the punishment of sin, and when there is a hard heart, unless the grace of God intervene, that hard heart will simply grow worse and worse and worse. That true preaching, yes of parables, but true preaching in any case, 
brings further veiledness rather than revelation for hearts that are dark and that are not restored by grace. That without faith in Christ, everything remains a dim parable, a riddle. And so what a gift it is to be given the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom. And notice that's just how Jesus speaks when he says in verse 11, To you it has been given. It's a gift given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And when he says in verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Do you realize, those of you sitting here today who understand the mysteries of the kingdom, understand the gospel, understand the triune nature of God, the incarnation of our Lord, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all that it means for your salvation, do you know what a gift it is? that your soul has been saved when you and I are no more deserving than another. Parables separate and divide. The Hebrew is a mashal, a dark saying, a riddle. We find it in Psalm 49.4, Psalm 78.2, Ezekiel 17. Son of man, propound a riddle and speak a parable to the house of Israel. Unbelievers do not have the ability to know and to understand the truth. Paul says that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are spiritually discerned. It requires the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and the gift of faith to understand the truth. And parables are used by Jesus to further the darkness of the impenitent unless God in his grace intervene. As when Isaiah preached, those dull in mind and heart became more so. For believing disciples, parables bear fruit. For the willfully blind, the darkness becomes even darker. And the scriptures are teaching here the sovereignty of God and human responsibility side by side. That men who reject the gospel in their darkness do so to their own peril, and that God in his sovereignty reveals his truth to whom he will, and that he's sovereign to withhold his truth as he sees fit. The scriptures know nothing of a tension between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility, but place these things constantly side by side for us to embrace and to believe. Now, this is a hard thing. If you're sitting there, you're thinking to yourself, this is pretty difficult. And you may be tempted to do what many a commentator is tempted to do when he goes to this passage, and that is to make Jesus say exactly what he doesn't. Does Jesus really mean this, that he reveals his truth to whom he will, and that he actually used parables in order to harden the hearts of the hardened? Yes, he means exactly what he says. And the minister of the word must preach what Jesus is saying in this passage faithfully. I'm not ashamed of the hard sayings of Jesus, and I will not trim them out. When I come to them and when you come to them in God's word, even though they may be incredible mysteries, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who here can understand his judgments? They're past tracing out. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory. Who can scale some mountain and peer into the secrets of the mind of God and yet he reveals Many of these things to us in his word, and when you see them, you bow to them, and you bring your affections in line with them. 
That's the Christian's call. So Jesus has given to us the parable. He has told us why he speaks in parables and will continue to do so for the remainder of his ministry in large measure. And this says a lot to us about our ministry here at Covenant Presbyterian Church. But we'll put that off for a moment and go to the third point, which is the explanation that Jesus gives of the parable. And here we're dealing with verses 18 through 23. Now, of course, this idea of, of sowing would have been familiar to everyone in this agrarian culture, and perhaps verses such as Psalm 126.6 would have come to mind. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Who is the sower? Jesus doesn't tell us here, but he continues the metaphor as he deals with the parable of the weeds, the next parable, and he tells us in verse 37... The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Undoubtedly, he means for us to understand that ultimately speaking, the sower, the one who is really in control of the seed and its spread, is Jesus himself. The seed, of course, is the kingdom message. And the soils are various human hearts who on different levels hear the message. Now let's look at those soils. First of all, There is the unresponsive hearer. We read about him in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. This is the hard-packed soil, the roads crisscrossing the various fields. This is the man who doesn't understand though he may be sitting under the hearing of the gospel for many years. As Gill says, he's careless, inattentive, negligent, and forgetful. His heart's never in it. His head and heart remain totally unconcerned when he hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. He cares nothing about the gospel when he hears the glories of Calvary, when he hears of the atonement of our Lord, the great sovereign grace of God, the shed blood to purchase sinners from their sins. He remains unmoved, or if he's moved, it's just momentary. The evil one comes and snatches the seed away and his heart remains hard. Satan may use false teaching. He may use lust. He may use moralism. Through various means, Satan removes the seed. Is that someone here? You are an unresponsive, careless, inattentive, negligent hearer. Maybe you'd rather not even be here. Or maybe you'd rather be somewhere that's really exciting and whips you up. But you don't really care anything about the substance of the gospel. If that's you, let me deal plainly with your soul, sir, ma'am. Let me tell you that if that is you, the day is coming, if God's grace does not intervene, let me tell you the day is coming in which you will not be careless. And you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you will say, Oh, that I had heard the gospel minister preach the gospel. Oh, that I had not been careless. Oh, that I had taken the kingdom of heaven by storm. Oh, that I understood these truths, understood these realities. Oh, that I had cared when my parents urged me to care, when the minister urged me to hear, when my Sunday school teacher opened the Bible and I really didn't even want to be there. You will care someday. The second soil 
represents the superficial hearer. Verses 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And so the seed is being sown, it falls on rocky places in which there is no depth. This is the man, the woman, the child that receives with joy the word, but it's a quick response He seems excited about the gospel. There's a kind of joy, but this is the man who will will be zealous for a while in everything. He'll be the first person here when the door is opened. He'll be perhaps the last one to leave when when the fellowship is over. He'll be perhaps the loudest to sing the hymns. Perhaps he will just rejoice in hearing the good news of the gospel. But the text says he has no firm root in himself. It's temporary. There is no true saving faith. There is no true repentance from sin. And when affliction comes and persecution comes and things get hard, you know, somebody's actually thinking, I'm foolish for believing this. Maybe I shouldn't. Or my business is suffering because I claim to be a Christian. Or, you know, all this Sunday thing is really taking time away when I'd rather be somewhere else. Or, I'd rather be on the soccer field, or I'd rather be at the swimming pool, or I'd rather be on the beach, or, you know, all of this. And then there's this persecution that comes, and people just don't like Christians in our culture anymore, and it's it's not really helping me socially any longer. And things get hard. This is the man, the woman, that falls away. This is the same person, the kind of person, that Jesus speaks of, as you recall, back in chapter 7, in verses 26 and 27. When Jesus said, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And then the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, this may take a little time to show, it might not be immediate. And it's specifically because of the word, Jesus says, that this man is unwilling to bear the offense of the gospel of Christ and to continue on. You see, there is one true grace in the heart that Satan cannot counterfeit. He can counterfeit love, he can counterfeit joy, he can counterfeit all of these things, but the one true grace he cannot counterfeit is perseverance. Perseverance to the end. And this sort of attitude actually can be encouraged by superficial methods of evangelism. Where we whip up the crowd, we bring them down the aisle, we have them sign a card, we tell them they're converted. We pad the church rolls. But they're as dead in trespasses and sins as when they walk down the aisle. Third. The third kind of soil is the worldly here. We read of him in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is the person who hears the word, but he's just too worldly for it to take root. He worries about things in the world all the time. That's, That's his prevailing attitude. The gospel is not dominant. Riches are more important to him. He fails to see their deceitfulness and 
These things just choke out the word. Thorns suck out the nutriment so that they can't, the seed can't take, take root and grow. Reminds me of 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So love of Christ and love of this world system cannot coexist. All of us should be concerned about money and making ourselves decent in appearance and But when we are overly concerned, and those things become first, money, fashions, prestige, fame, youthful pleasure, if those are the things for which you live and you are not converted to Christ, you will rue the day that you make those things first in your life. The seed was no different in any of these cases. The seed is good seed. This man actually heard with pleasure, in a measure he accepted it. It grew for a while, but it's choked out by the world. Listen to my friend, Mr. Spurgeon. You know him? He preached a sermon on this verse. Not the whole parable, but this verse. And he says this, Do you know why so many professing Christians are like the thorny ground? It is because... Processes have been omitted which would have gone far to alter the condition of things. It was the husband's, the, hus, the husbandman's business to uproot the thorns or burn them on the spot. Years ago when people were converted, you see he's being facetious, years ago when people were converted, there used to be such a thing as conviction of sin. The great subsoil plow of soul anguish was used to tear deep into the soul. Fire also burned in the mind with exceeding heat as men saw sin and felt its dreadful results and love of it was burned out of them. But now we are dinned with braggings about rapid salvations. As for myself, I believe in instantaneous conversions and I'm glad to see them. But I'm still more glad when I see a thorough work of grace, a deep sense of sin, and an effectual wounding by the law. We shall never get rid of thorns with plows that scratch the surface. Those fields grow the best corn which are best plowed. Converts are likely to endure when the thorns cannot spring up because they have been plowed up. Dear hearer, are you undergoing today a very severe conviction of sin? Thank God for it. Are you in awful trouble and anguish? Do not think that a calamity has happened to you. May God himself continue to plow you and then sow you and make sure work in you for years to come. So you see those thorns were natives and old established natives. and It would have been well had they been cut up. Spurgeon goes on, as I recall in that sermon, boy is selling his wares. He cries, get your hot mince pies. Come, get your hot mince pies. Man comes and buys one. 
Boy, this hot mince pie is cold. Oh, that's just what we call them. And so it is that many a Christian is just called a Christian. He's a cold mince pie, not a hot one. Not me, you say. Well, I certainly pray not, and I want to do all I can to encourage genuine assurance of faith. But where's the fruit? And oh, confused root and fruit, where's the fruit that comes from the root? Love to others, standing for Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, speaking His name, holy conversation, worship, joy in the Holy Spirit. That's fruit. It's not the root, but it's fruit. And if the root is there, really there, deep down, then there will be fruit. It's inevitable. The fourth soil is the believing hearer. We find that in verse 23. As for those, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Indeed, bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. It's good soil. Why? Because it was properly prepared soil. It was not naturally different than the soils that we have read about already. But this person hears the word of God. He has a spirit of understanding because he has been quickened by efficacious grace. He keeps it. He holds it fast. He has a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone. He bears fruit, incredible fruit, as a matter of fact, Jesus says. And it takes a new nature to understand the word All our hearts were once bad soil, every one of us. And the mysteries are clear only by the work of the Holy Spirit. Verses 11 and 12, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, Even what he has will be taken away. The difference is the work of the Spirit of God. That's the parable. That's why Jesus spoke in parables. That's the meaning of the parable. Now let me give you some pointed conclusions. The first is this. The parables help us to understand what is the church's call in this age in which we live until Jesus comes again. What is the church's call? It is through her ministers to preach the word of God and through our daily lives to spread the word of God. Now, there are other things taught in Scripture, but that is fundamental. And when the word of God is spread, some will reject and some will superficially receive it and some will seem to accept it, but the world will choke it out. And it's always a sad thing, but we should never be surprised when we have someone who says, I'm converted, and they don't pan out, because that's what Jesus says will happen. And some will truly believe and bear fruit, thank God. And so the minister and the church of Jesus Christ is not responsible for the reception or rejection of the message. That is essential for you to get. We are not responsible for the reception or rejection of the message. We are responsible to be faithful to get the word out. God alone can properly prepare soil and bless his word savingly. So I've heard through the years from time to time, rarely nowadays, but I've heard it, if you would just change your methods, 
You know, expository preaching week by week, it's just so boring. You know, if you just change your methods, we could really just fill the pews with people and build up the congregation. And, and if you just really get us out of the hymn book into something more exciting and sheer Arminianism, folks. God alone can pr- properly prepare the soil. God alone can bless his word savingly. And he will see to it. And so anticipate these responses. What happened in Jesus' ministry? Over and over again, there are these hard sayings. And there are those cases in which someone will say, this is a hard saying, who can bear it? And people turned away from Jesus' ministry. Remember A.W. Tozer saying when he went to the church in Canada that he was pastoring, I heard this in a sermon a number of years ago, he said that when he came there and he preached, the place just filled up. No, that's not true. That's not what he said. He said when he came and began to preach the word, he had to preach the congregation down. They didn't want the truth. And God had a faithful people who did. And they began to build faithfully from there. Now, God does give great harvests, and he does fill churches with people that want to hear the word of God. But sometimes there are 12 disciples, and one of them is a devil. That's in God's hands. It's the responsibility of the head and king of the church. It's not our responsibility. Ours is to be faithful. So the focus on results is all wrong. That is God's business and God's alone. And when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached and the word of God is proclaimed, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Here will be the result. 2 Corinthians 2. Verses 14 through 16. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So this is Paul the Apostle and others who spread the knowledge of Christ. Everywhere they go, there's a fragrance, a wonderful fragrance of the gospel. Verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The same aroma... But how is it received? Verse 16, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Most megachurches of which I'm aware compromise the gospel in various ways, and you can fill your church with people in all sorts of different ways. I was coming back with Jeff McDonald from Presbytery yesterday, and we looked out at the Kingdom Hall off the interstate, a very large Kingdom Hall of the Jehovah's Witnesses. The parking lot was simply unable to hold the cars of the people who were there. Here's a group that denies that Jesus is God, does not believe in the blood atonement, does not believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead, Because there are great numbers, or few numbers, is no indication that's in God's hands. 
And so the focus is this, just be faithful, people. Just be faithful. That your ministers be faithful to proclaim the truth, that you be faithful to live a godly life and to sow the seed in every opportunity that presents itself. Be faithful to spread the gospel of the kingdom by your holy life and words. Invite people to church. Get them under the sound of the preaching of the word. Some will actually be converted and stay. Some will stay for a while. Some will not stay at all. That's in God's hands. You just be faithful. That's one application. Another one is this. I want to ask the question of everyone under the hearing of my voice, what kind of soil in this parable represents your life? If you are among those that reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not taking root. Or worldliness is choking out the word that you hear. And you're dull of hearing. Reject no more. Be done with superficiality. Value Christ and his word and trust in Christ for your redemption and salvation. Because I know that even as I call upon you to do so, that the Holy Spirit can work to open your heart and cause it to happen. Believe in Christ. Trust in Him. And then the final application to us, among many that can be given, is, you know, this really is the parable of the sower. You go to certain commentaries now and they say, really this should be called not the parable of the sower, but the parable of the soils, because it's all about the soils. No. Jesus says in verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. And he continues this metaphor on into the next parable, the parable of the weeds, and he says that the good seed is sown by the Son of Man. It's the parable of the sower. And this, this is our encouragement, that through his ministers and through the witness of his people, the word of God is going to go forth, and God promises that his word will not return unto him void, but will accomplish the purpose to which he sends it. That even though I am called to scatter seed, you are called to scatter seed, the Bible teaches us that ultimately it is the Messiah, sower, and harvester that is responsible for the seed. And he is sending his word accordingly and accomplishing his will through his word. And that awesome, awesome, awesome will is a will that saves his people and a will that further darkens many a soul that rejects him. What a responsibility it is to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ when you know that under the hearing of your voice there are going to be those to whom that word is a savor of life unto life and to whom that word is a savor of death unto death. May the Lord use this to prepare the soil of some heart to receive the word truly, deeply, savingly. Amen.